I think this game makes me want to go to Spain. <laughs> Welcome to Cardboard and Wine, Episode 1. I'm Mamie. And I'm Josh. Grab a glass, pull up a chair, and let's talk about some games. Today on the show, we break out our trusty grozing pliers and craft some stained glass masterpieces in the gorgeous dice drafting game, Sagrada. Hi there, Mamie. How's it going? Hi, Josh. I'm doing great. How about you? I am doing well. have a nice glass of Malbec in front of us. Yes, our favorite Malbec. Yeah, this is the Pedrillos Malbec from Argentina, where I guess lots of Malbecs come from. We discovered this one on our Sunday night sushi date and then found our local wine store had it. Yeah, so this is a, a quality one. If you can get your hands on the Pedrillos Malbec, it's a nice blue label with a, it's a, horse. a horse. Yeah, it's a horse. Yeah. Horse, of course. How's your week been? Good. Busy as always. You know, our, our daughter was sick this week, and so that always complicates things a little bit, but we still found time to get in plenty of gaming. What, what have you been playing this week? I've played a, f- a few new things to me that I've really been having fun with. One thing that I did over the weekend was I met a friend from our gaming group at a, our local game store, and we played a game of Pulsar 2849 for the first time. It was our first play for both of us. It's actually another dice drafting game. That seems to be the theme. You could kind of think of it, Mamie, like Castles of Burgundy in space, sort okay. of. Kind of. I'll uh, take your word for it. Yeah, really fun game. I'd be interested to play it again. I think you might like it. But also, we recently got the reprint of Antiquity from Splatter Games. So I was able to get in a couple plays of that including one where you defeated me quite soundly. Oh, we don't need to tell people about that. That's right. No one's keeping score. Um, (laughs) I'm certainly not. I'm keeping score. (laughs) Definitely going to take a couple of plays to wrap my mind around that one, but it's one of those games that I'll wake up in the morning and I'll keep thinking about it. So uh, I guess that's that's the mark of a quality game. Another thing too, I introduced the kiddos to King Domino and that was quite a hit. Yeah. How did they do? They did pretty well. So... So our our children are fairly young. They're seven and five. And I have to say, we played two games. And in that second game, my five-year-old son legit beat me. So I'm not sure how I feel about that. He's a pretty strong gamer. Yeah, he's either a really strong gamer or I'm a weak gamer. Maybe that's the theme of this show so far. Well, you know, it kind of makes me think about Saturday night, too. It's been sort of a rainy weekend, so we've actually spent quite a bit of time playing games. And Friday night, we had a friend over and we played mini rails and photosynthesis. But then last night, we had some friends over. Those are friends that are probably a little more into the wine than the games. But we broke out a escape adventure, one of the unlock adventures, Squeak and Sausage. And it it really didn't go very well. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's putting it nicely. Uh, you know, we had these friends over previously. It's been months ago now, and we did one of these escape room games. Actually, it was the first escape room in a box type game that either of us had done. And it was one of the exit the room games. And I think we all had a really great time. It yeah, was, it was really fabulous. fun. And, you know, most of these games, if you haven't played, it, it simulates these escape rooms that you actually would go and do in person. But they're sort of that experience in a box. And they usually give you an hour. And, and that first experience, you know, it was a nail biter. But we got it done. Yeah, we right, did it. Right under yeah. the wire. This one was a little more of a train wreck. Yeah, it was definitely a train wreck. We had to play Fabled Fruit when it was over just so we could feel better about ourselves. Yeah, and you know, 
So, so I got this unlock game because I've heard lots of good things about the unlock games. And, and you know, I can see the appeal. Everything's contained to this deck of cards. So some of these escape room in a box games, you have to actually destroy things, like you're folding things, you're tearing things it's up. It's kind of like a legacy game. Yeah, kind of. But this unlock, it, it is very clean. You have, you have this one deck of cards that's everything. And one thing that I think some people like is... You could replay this. I mean, I don't think you would ever think replay will. it yourself, but you know, someone else could go through it. But I think the thing that was frustrating about it was not so much that it wasn't frustrating because the puzzles were challenging, but it seemed frustrating because there's there's one component of this that's very much like hidden picture. Like maybe there's a card and there's a little tiny number somewhere. Yeah, I think there was one number that we missed and we were stuck like 15 minutes looking for things that weren't there. Yeah, so I felt like there was less time trying to solve puzzles and more, oh, well, we didn't see that little tiny number that was on this part of the card. And I don't know, to me, that was a little bit less satisfying than maybe some of the other experiences we've had with the escape games Yeah, I agree completely. I think, you know, I love doing an escape room. Like that adventure, that activity is really fun. I think it's hard to put that into a box. And the the deck of cards just wasn't quite it for me. But we'll try again. We'll try something else. We'll try one more. I mean, a lot of people really swear by these unlock games. And so we'll try another one now that we're a little more familiar with the system and and kind of how these things work. And we definitely like that sort of legacy game. We, the other thing we did is this afternoon, we played another month in our pandemic legacy. We're working our way through the first episode of pandemic legacy and it's been a blast. Yeah, we're on to August now, so... Except uh, we have to do August again. Yeah, well... We'll definitely talk more about that in a later episode. Yeah, we, we'll have a spoiler-free review of that once we get through the campaign. But as for today, we wanted to talk about one of our favorite games, and this is actually a game that we've played almost more than any other game. I'm a habitual game logger, so I always track our plays, and I went and did some research, and it turns out over the last six months, maybe... This is our most played game, and that is Sagrada. I am not surprised. Sagrada is an amazing game that we break out all the time, when, especially when we just need something for a few minutes of gameplay. So tell the folks a little bit about Sagrada. You are an artist who is competing with fellow artists to create the most beautiful stained glass window in the Sagrada Familia. Your glass pieces are represented by dice, which have a color and a shade, and these are indicated by the values on the dice. So the lower the value, the lighter the shade. And each round, you're going to take turns drafting from a pool of dice and placing these dice on their window. And players must place them within the color and shade restrictions on their window card. And here, here's the interesting thing. So are you a Sudoku fan? I do like Sudoku, but I, I only do the easy ones. Yeah, well, so you know how with Sudoku, you can't have the same number in the row. All right. the, so, so it's a little bit similar logic feel. So with, with Sagrada, when you place those dice, you can never have adjacent dice that are either the same color or the same value. So you play 10 rounds of this and you score points based on these public and private objectives that each player has. And the highest scoring artist is the winner. Yeah, it, it's pretty straightforward in terms of learning, but it's not an easy game, which is part of why we really enjoy it. What led you, I remember you purchasing this game, and I don't remember how you discovered it. Yeah, so last year I was following one of the board game cons through Twitter. It was, you know, there was a hashtag for whatever con this was. I can't even remember now which one it was, and was enjoying seeing all the, the photographs of all the games. 
And there was this one that just had these beautiful colored dice out on the table, and it was Sagrada. And I remember seeing it, and I was immediately like, what is that? And I immediately started researching it and instantly put it on my wish list just from the looks alone. And for those of you that don't know, Josh is something of a game collector. So if he sees it and likes it, it usually ends up in our collection. Yeah, no, that is true. Um, I will say one thing that is not typical for me, though, I am also a notorious researcher. So that before, is very true. before purchasing something, I do a lot of research. I read about the rules and the mechanisms and see, is this something that I think will be fun for me and for the people that I typically play games with? But you do love dice. I do love dice, and this is a beautiful game, and I don't think there have been that many games where I was interested in getting my hands on it just by the looks alone, except maybe Photosynthesis, which we just played. That one also compelled me, just the way it looked. So so let's talk a little bit more about this game. You know, we've talked about these these beautiful dice that are certainly the first thing you notice when you look at Sagrada. Yeah, the dice definitely get a lot of attention and they they really are beautiful but let's talk a little about the player boards as well i mean each player gets a specific color board with a cutout window frame and it's designed so that the window pattern cards can can slide into place and then hold the dice and for those of you that don't know me, I can be a little bit clumsy. So I really appreciate that I can bump the game and the dice don't move around. They don't get disrupted because they they sit down in that little player board. Yeah, those player boards are really nice. I've taught this game a couple times and everybody's got their own little stained glass window with those cutouts that you were describing. But then each player, you get a couple of these little cardboard squares that have a grid with different color and number values and they slide right in there to the window and so your specific template shows through your window and that's just so clever when you do it (laughs) a couple times i've taught this people are like "Ooh!" and i believe those patterns are actually based on windows in the sagrada familia in spain right i think some of them are i haven't uh actually google searched a couple of them and i mean obviously they're super rudimentary like this one has more yellow tones, right. so there's more yellow squares. But yeah, I think there is a little bit of that. Yeah, so the player boards are really an amazing component. I mean, the other thing is the dice. The dice come in this really nice kind of heavy-duty canvas bag. It actually has two of those canvas bags that come with the game, one for the dice and one with the favor tokens that you can use for the tools. Speaking of those tools, there's really four different decks of cards that comes with this game. There's the window patterns that we talked about that slide in those player boards, but then there's also different tools and then there's private objectives that each player has and public objectives, which I know sounds pretty complicated. Yeah, but the thing that that you mentioned, Amy, that's true is the gameplay is pretty straightforward. Like I said, I've taught this to groups before and it's really, really easy to pick up. There's not a lot of rules overhead. So basically you, you take turns drafting from this pool of dice. And so you always have one more die than there are numbers of players times two. So if there were two of us playing, we would have five dice. And, and one player would roll those dice and then you would draft them. And it's a, a snake draft style. I don't know if people are familiar with that term. I first learned that term in my fantasy football <laughs> drafting days. But, but I really like that snake draft. Um, yeah, basically it's format. first to last and then last to first. So I really like that style. And it works really well with this game, I think. 
so within that, once you have your dice, um, you place them in your window. And each of the pattern cards have specific colors and numbers that are specific placements. And then as Josh mentioned earlier, you can't place the same number or color adjacent to a die that is that same color or number. That's kind of the basics. But within that, you also have cards that are loosely based on tools that actual stained glass makers use. And those enable you to bend or break the rules and those placement rules in some way. What do you, what do you think of those tools that you can use? Yeah, so the tools are one of my favorite parts of the game. I think this game could really make your brain explode a little bit. You're trying to think about, okay, uh, I can't have the same color next to the same color, especially as you start filling up your window, right? And some of those squares have certain restrictions. Like if the little part of the window has a blue square underneath it, you have to have a blue die there. Oh, but it can't be a two because there's a two over next to this other one. So it can start to get a little tricky to think about which die to put where. But these tools will enable you to either move around things that you've already placed on your board or to manipulate the dice in certain ways. Like for example, one that we used last night was you could change the value of one of the drafted die. That's the grozing pliers, which I believe is your favorite. Uh, the grozing pliers are indeed my favorite. And you know, actually, I spent a little bit of time today watching videos of grozing pliers. Well, I don't actually know what that is. What are grozing pliers? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So grozing pliers are a tool that help you trim a piece of glass to shape. And so, and, so that and actually, actually kind of makes sense. It does kind of make sense. I was watching somebody use these pliers and they were just kind of nipping off. I think they just call it nipping. They were like nipping off these little pieces of glass to get it in just the right shape. So similar to changing a four to a five on the blue dice. <laughs> That's nice to know that they actually make sense. Now I kind of want to Google the other ones. I uh, know. Maybe we'll do that as soon as we finish recording this. So yeah, I think the tools are really fun. But one thing that's really cool about the game is on each of these little cardboard templates, I guess that you would call them, that yeah, you patterns, slide in, yeah. patterns that you would slide into your window, the difficulty, there's a difficulty differential among some of the different patterns. And so... I believe they range from three to six. Yeah, there are little little pips on the very bottom and, and three are the easiest ones. So those have the fewest restrictions that are placed on you by certain colors or numbers you have to place in certain positions. Whereas a six has a lot more restrictions on you. However, this is mitigated a little bit because, Mamie, you mentioned a bag for these little gems. Right. Those are the tools is what I think they call those in the game. And those they allow you to use those tools. And so if you have, for instance, a window that's a level six difficulty, you get six gems, which means you're allowed to use more of the tools to kind of bend those rules. So it, it kind of evens out the playing field for the difficulty that you choose versus the amount of tools that you're able to use in the game. Yeah, and, and those tools come out, there's a whole deck of them, but you pick three randomly for each game. So from game to game, they're going to vary which tools are available to you. But if you're the first person to use that tool, you just take one of your gems. It costs one gem to use those tools. Um, however, if you're if you're second or basically not first, it's going to cost you two gems. So you kind of can weigh, all right, well do I really need to use a gem now or should I save it? Because the other thing we should mention about those gems, if you don't use them at all, uh, they count as points at the end of the game. Yeah, that's true. So in the end of the game, you earn points based on your private objective, which is always a color. And so you're earning points based on how many pips of that color you have in your window. And then there are public objectives that are drawn from a deck. There's quite a few of those, but you draw three per game. And those are things that everybody's trying to get. So like a, like a row where 
every die in that row would be a unique color. Right. Or a row where every die would be a unique number. Sometimes they're also pairs, like of ones and twos or twos and threes. Um, and so those are the, the public objectives. So there's several ways that you earn points, but holding on to some of those gems is also a good way to earn a few extra points in the end. Yeah, and if you end up getting stuck and you can't place die in all the windows, which happens to me pretty much every game. Uh, those <laughs> I don't are, think that hardly ever happens. Yeah, well, uh, so that's negative points at the end of the game. And and so that kind of that kind of goes into one of my favorite things about the game. And for one thing, as we said, it is totally a gorgeous game. There's no denying that. But I really like that variability from game to game in what scores points and what tools are available to use that make the game a little less crushing. So each game feels a little bit unique and a little bit fresh because even the objectives you're going after, the way you're trying to arrange those dice, it's not the same from game to game. In fact, it's totally different. Right. I think that's definitely one of my favorite things about the game. I mean, it is beautiful. That's one of the things that first draws somebody into playing, but it's easy to learn, but it's not really easy to play. So it, it definitely keeps you thinking. Um, plus, there's just something really pleasing about that symmetry when you successfully complete the window. Yeah, uh, you always do seem pleased when you do that. Because uh, I never do. You do sometimes. <laughs> One thing I really appreciate about this game is I really love a game where the components are really well done and they look nice and they're they're sturdy and they feel like quality pieces, but they're they functionally work together too. So they're not just oh that game looks really pretty, but it's really boring or it's not very fun. But I feel like it all kind of comes together with the theme and the and the gameplay and really really those those components work seamlessly with the theme and the gameplay and it all kind of works together in a way that really makes the game enjoyable and you know I love rolling dice. Yeah, I mean that's definitely true with this game. Is there anything about Sagrada that you don't like? Yeah, so this is a really minor thing I guess, but um I don't really like many things and I have to say you know that I don't like mini cards, which tons of games seem to have these days. And so when I first opened this game, for some reason, I'd seen the photographs online, but I was surprised to find out that the dice are actually fairly small. I, I guess I was expecting they would be more traditionally sized dice. So when I opened them up and they were kind of tiny, maybe it's just because it wasn't what I was expecting, but I was a little disappointed there. And I do think that, at least for me, once your window gets fairly full and you're trying to fit some of those last dice in. It, it can be very easy for me, at least, to accidentally bump something and those dice seem to flip over a little bit. So I don't know. I guess if there was one minor quibble, it would be I'd love I'd love those player boards to be just a little bit bigger and accommodate some full-size dice. Again, still a great game, but just a minor quibble for me. I, I can see that. The dice size doesn't really bother me, but I kind of have a unique appreciation for things that are not quite the right size. I Honestly, it's hard for me to think of anything that I don't really love about this game. The the one thing, and again, this is such a piddly thing, is the score track. The score track comes with little discs to use to keep score. And <laughs> Little is an overstatement. Yeah, they're tiny. And, and we've really found them to be pretty much useless. We tend to use a colored die to keep to track the score instead of using those tiny little discs. But I, again, it's a very minor piddly thing. And I really love this game. The one thing I could think of, I, I kind of wish they were coming out with some expansions. While it's already pretty variable, I could see us at some time reaching a point where 
we want something new and some additional variety. But other than that, I think it's a fabulous game. Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned that, Mamie, because I actually saw on social media Floodgate Games, who is the production company of this game, did announce, uh, or at least they teased, a, a five- and six-player expansion for, Negra- oh, for Sagrada. Oh, awesome. Do you think it's just going to increase the player count, or do you think there's going to be other elements in there? Well, I think it's possible there might be some new window patterns, maybe some new objectives, and and clearly there would have to be some some new dice. But, you know, I'm not sure how I would feel about that because, you know, we have played this a lot. I mean, certainly I would say 75% of our games have been two-player. And this is an excellent two-player game, by the way. Um, but we played more recently some three- and four-player games. And I have to say I enjoyed it a lot less at four players than I did at two players. Yeah, I think this game definitely plays best, at least in our experience so far, as two-player. I can't really imagine it as a five- or six-player game. Yeah, I don't know that if I had a group of five or six people, if this would be my go-to game. So, you know, while I would definitely consider getting the expansion if it included some of those additional windows, maybe some new tools, some new objectives, um, that might be fun. But if it's really just some extra dice to and some extra windows for a five and fifth and sixth player... I'm not sure that that's something I would get a lot of use out of. So one thing we we want to talk about on the show when we go over a game is not just the the nuts and bolts, the components and the gameplay, but I feel like a lot of times when you play games, there are certain certain feelings, a certain feeling you get from from each game that you play. And so so maybe what kind of feelings does Sagrada evoke in you? You know, I as I mentioned earlier, I really love the symmetry of putting everything in its place. I might be a little bit uh, OCD in that regard. And so when I can get all of my colors and all of my numbers to line up correctly, it's just really satisfying. And I, I, I just enjoy the color and the numbers and the, yeah, symmetry is the only word I can think of for that. I think it's really pleasing and feels satisfying. What about you? I think this game makes me want to go to Spain. <laughs> So this game's named after the Sagrada Familia, which is the largest unfinished Roman Catholic church in the world. I didn't realize it was an unfinished church. It's unfinished, located in Barcelona, Spain. And construction for the Sagrada Familia actually started in 1882, and it's still not done. (laughs) Uh, I read online, actually, it is supposed to be completed by around 2026. Um, However, you can go visit it. And seriously, it is breathtaking from the photos. So whether you've heard of this game or not, um, certainly if you've not been there, take a look at some of the photos of the Sagrada Familia. The Gothic architecture paired with this beautiful stained glass is really impressive. We'll put some photos on the show notes, but you can very quickly see, and Mammy, I'm showing you a photo here. You can oh, see wow, where these player beautiful. boards Oh, it, uh, it does inspired. look very much like the player board. Yeah, yeah. So um, really gorgeous. So that's what it evokes in me is this sudden interest to go visit this Roman Catholic Are we cathedral. Are we going to plan a trip to Spain? <laughs> Maybe we should. Uh, Dice Tower Con or... Uh, Barcelona. Oh, that's choose. a tough choice. Uh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Barcelona it would be, but uh, we got to save up our, our funds a True. little bit for that one. So I guess, Mamie, one, one other thing I wanted to ask you was, was for Sagrada, when, would, when is this a game we would break out? Well, you know, for us, we often break this out when it's just the two of us and we want something that's quick, but not necessarily, you know, super easy. Um, sometimes if we have other people, we'll use it like before we're going to play a longer game or after a longer game. If you know, we, we still want to add on a little more gameplay. You know, I haven't really thought about trying it with the kids, but I think they may almost be old enough to enjoy it. I mean, they would understand the number and color placement. Yeah, I think this would be a great 
a great way for for kids to develop kind of logic because really it sort of is like some of those logic problems that you used to do as kids or in puzzles. Um, I think as long as, you know, as long as kids have kind of developed the fine motor skills to move and manipulate those little dice. Yeah, I think it could be a really engaging game for kids. You know, one thing I love about this game is that it really is um, attractive and, and exciting for almost everybody. You know, we've played it with people that are casual gamers, all the way up to some of our pretty heavy gaming friends, and everybody seems to enjoy it. Yeah, that is true. I don't think I... Anyone we have ever introduced this game to has disliked it. In fact, most of them have have really asked to play it again. And so I think that is the mark of a good game. So so with that, um, any final thoughts you have on Sagrada? You know, on the whole, I just think it's a game that people would like to have in their collection. It's beautiful. It's versatile. We've played it a lot. And yet, if you wanted to play tonight, I'd be happy to play it again, uh, which again is a mark of a good game. What did you think? Well, so... As I mentioned, this is one of those rare games for me that I immediately wanted just based on the looks. And I'm happy to say that I was not at all disappointed by the gameplay once I finally got to play Sagrada. And it scratches a very different itch for me than a lot of the other strategy games that we play. And I think that's one of the reasons why we'll often play it before or after another game. It's almost like it's a good palate cleanser yeah. after <laughs> after a long, intense uh two-hour strategy game session. But, you know, the part of me that likes Sudoku and these logic puzzles really loves this game. And we didn't mention it, but it plays easily under 20 minutes. And yeah, it's so, very quick. Yeah, so it's easy to get in a game or two. And and as I mentioned, over the last six months, this has been our most played game for a reason. It is beautiful. It evokes the theme of crafting the stained glass so well all under a half-hour package. So it's really the perfect game to break out with gamer and non-gamer friends alike. Pretty sure this will definitely stay in our collection, and I envision that we have many, many more plays of Sagrada and also grossing pliers. (laughs) Okay, so it's the moment of truth. What would be your final rating for Sagrada? Yeah, so we should talk about our rating scale. Okay, yeah. This is episode one. That's true. uh, So we're cardboard and wine, so we decided to give a little... Uh, put a little wine spin on our rating scale. And you should listen to episode zero to find out a little more about why we chose that name. Um, so our rating is going to go from one to five. So one would be an empty bottle. Wah, wah. Sad, disappointing, needs to be thrown away. Or recycled. Oh, yes, recycled, definitely. Uh, so so that's a one. A two is going to be our two-buck chuck. Um, so our $2 Trader Joe's, you know, I don't have anything else and it's raining outside. So, eh, this will do if in a pinch. Yeah. And three is wine in a box. There are things about it that I like and things about it that I don't like so much. In the right situation, wine in a box is what you need. Yep. All right. Uh, a four is going to be maybe like this Malbec that we're enjoying tonight. This is a solid quality wine, uh, good, good value, easy to enjoy regularly, uh, I've poured a glass, and I'm really looking forward to enjoying some more. Five, our, the top of our scale is a big, bold California Cabernet, full of complexity. It's going to get better with age. Those are games that we can play over and over again. Yeah, this will be a game that we don't expect to get tired of anytime soon. All right, what do you got? This is definitely a four, something that's easy to enjoy regularly. We play it often. We enjoy it. We look forward to playing it more. Yeah, I'm right there with you. So this game is a four for me. Played it a ton. I'm not tired of it yet. Would definitely be happy to play it some more. A game that I'm totally happy for it to 
be in my collection. I don't think it's the only game I would ever want to play. I don't think it's a feature game in an evening for me, but certainly makes a good addendum to to some other games on a game night. All right. Well, that was us talking about Sagrada, Mamie. Thanks for uh, coming here and talking with me. Yeah. And thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks for listening to Cardboard and Wine. For show notes, links, and other fun info about the games we discuss on the show, you can visit our website at cardboardandwine.com. If you have feedback on the show or suggestions for a future show, you can send us a tweet at Board and Wine. Email us at cardboardandwine at gmail.com or jump into our guild on Board Game Geek. You can leave us a review on iTunes and we'd love to hear from you. Since we are a brand new podcast, it'll help new listeners find the show. Until next time, cheers, cheers and, and happy, happy gaming. gaming.